بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اما بعد اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم respected elders and brothers mothers and sisters dear listeners and our respected uh, brothers who are and sisters who are uh, regularly alhamdulillah attending the tafsir durus before ramadan and inshallah alhamdulillah we've gathered here again today or online may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspire us to be connected with the quran throughout our lives may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open up the secrets of the quran upon us may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you and i from amongst the students of the quran for the rest of our life May he make us amongst those who recite the Qur'an with contemplation, who recite it with conviction, who recite it with the intention of practicing, who recite it with the intention of propagating, and then who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses to spread the message of the Qur'an throughout the globe. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. Inshallah, we will be beginning tafsir uh, and going over the verses or uh, the surah Ahzab. And this is a surah that was revealed in Medina Munawwara it's a Madani surah comprising of 73 verses and it is revealed or it's mentioned it's in the Quran in the 21st Jews in the last quarter after Surah Al-Sajda very famous surah Surah Al-Sajda which we covered many years ago here uh, and a surah that is recited to be recited every night after Maghrib or in the evening before you go to bed along with Surah Al-Kahf so after that, the surah, Surah Al-Kahf, I'm uh, sorry, Surah Al-Ahzab is mentioned. And this surah, called the clans, Hizbun Ahzab, Hizb is a group. Ahzab is a plural of it, which means clans. It's gotten this title, the clans, based on the incident that this surah is going to address. One of the many incidents is the incident of Khandaq or, or Ghazwatul Khandaq. The battle that took place around Medina in which the hypocrites, the Jewish tribes, they, they ganged up with the mushrikeen and the disbelievers and the polytheists of Mecca and they tried to attack Medina and they laid siege on Medina for a very long time. So since it wasn't just one group of people who attacked Medina, rather it was so many of them, that is why the surah, or rather that incident has been called Ahzab. Hizbun Ahzab, many tribes came together. And we know it as Ghazwatul Khandaq, as the uh, battle of the trench. Because as we're all aware, eventually trenches were dug up and that's what became the way the Muslims of Medina remained protected from the onslaught of the disbelievers and although they were in, under the siege but they were not able to the disbelievers were not able to break those ranks were not able to jump over that uh, trench and were not able to ransack Medina so this is the, why the surah is called Ahzab because it speaks about that but beyond that one incident which is a really amazing incident which will come inshallah in the next few weeks this surah speaks about the status of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the special place he holds with 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the importance of revering, respecting, and honoring him. And the fact that causing him any pain is disobedience to Allah. Causing him pain is actually forbidden haram. What are the etiquettes when dealing with the Prophet How should we go to his home if when he was there, when he was around, and when the Sahaba were around? How should you um, honor him? And one of the most famous ayats of the Quran that all of you know is revealed in Surah Al-Hazab. Which one is that? Yes, all right, we've been hearing it. Inna Allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi Ya ayuhal ladheen amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima Allahumma salli wa sallam ala sayyidina Muhammadin abdika rasulik Salli ala mu'minina wal mu'minat wal muslimina wal muslimat This ayah which is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about sending salutations upon the Prophet this is also part of this surah. So this surah has actually, I always ask brothers give advice, give suggestions for a surah, next surah in tafsir. So this one was given to me by our colleague Mulana Yusuf who specifically thought that this is something to be speaking about since this surah focuses primarily on the status of the Prophet and today we're seeing that being attacked. From the hearts of the believers themselves. From the hearts of the believers, the, the status of Rasulullah unfortunately, the status of his statements, the status of his actions, the status of his sunnah is not what it used to be before. And it's not in, I, you know, I, I, I need my, a reminder myself. And many of us may feel the fact that we need a reminder that what is the status of Rasulullah sunnah. So alhamdulillah, that's why he suggested the surah and this is what I've begun with. Uh, there are ahkam of hijab in here as well, so they're going to come later on, a bit more detailed. That uh, um, ahkam of divorce as well are mentioned here. It is a long surah; it may take us a good 18, 19 weeks at least. So we're going to be in here on, on the surah for the next uh, many months, inshallah wa ta'ala. For the and the first three verses, inshallah, we hope to cover today. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Ya ayyuhan nabiyu attaqillaha wa la tuti'il kafirina wal munafiqeen. Inna allaha kana aliman hakeema. Wattabi' ma yuha ilayka min rabbik. Inna allaha kana bima ta'maluna khabira. Watawakkal ala allah. وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَكِيلًا يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِي O Prophet of Allah اِتَّقِ اللَّهِ Fear Allah وَلَا تُطِعِ الْكَافِرِينَ Do not obey the disbelievers وَالْمُنَافِقِينَ And the hypocrites Do not obey the disbelievers and the hypocrites إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala كَانَ is عَلِيمًا All-knowing حَكِيمًا All-wise Allah is all-knowing All-wise Do not obey the disbelievers Do not obey the Hypocrites. Fear Allah. Next ayah. And follow that which is revealed to you from your Lord. Follow that which has been revealed to you from your Lord. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all aware of what you are doing. O human, O ummah, O ummah of Rasulullah, Allah is all aware of what you're doing. And then back to the Prophet. And place your trust in Allah. Place your trust in Allah. And Allah is enough as a guardian. So the background of these verses, let's speak about that. 
there are a number of narrations. When the Prophet ﷺ came to live in Medina, after migrating to Medina, the <clears throat> hypocrites were there. Then there were the Jewish tribes, Banu Quraidah, Banu Nadir, and Banu Qaynuqa'. So these were the famous three Jewish tribes that resided in Medina before Rasulullah migrated there. So being the Prophet of Allah, he wished good for everyone. And he, was, he, he went out of his way to accommodate people. So there were some of these members of these three Jewish tribes began to come to the majlis of the Prophet ﷺ, began to come to the Prophet's gathering. And they, although had no faith in their heart, began to act as though they were sympathetic towards Islam or even maybe even Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ had a habit of welcoming, a warm welcome to everyone. And the desire, the hope was that inshallah, if these people are, are, are honored, their Islam will become strong and then they will become a means of other non-Muslims and other Jewish members of their tribe to also come towards Islam. So to the extent that Rasulullah would give a blind eye to some of the mistakes of such people. If they blatantly did something wrong, he would ignore it. And the, the, the idea was that by ignoring something, a person might feel that, okay, I know according to him this rule, this is a rule, this is not allowed. But look at how he gave me a blind eye. He, like, he turned the other way. So that means he's trying to be accommodating. So Rasulullah was trying to bring these people closer to the deen. So Allah then revealed these verses that <clears throat> ensure that you do not basically make any attempt to accommodate them if it ends up breaking any of the rules of Allah. Especially when they are hypocrites, they're not even real Muslims. They're hypocrites. So they, they tell you that, why don't you uh, mellow down? For example, I'm saying what happens today. It's very relevant to us today, very relevant. All the entire interfaith discussion that happens. The alliances that you built with people of other faiths and, and other things, that's fine. But we have to ensure that we are not watering down our faith. We make it very clear that no one is forcing you to become a Muslim at all. From the very get-go, we're not here to convert anyone. But at the same time, you have to let me practice what I believe in. Do not try to say, make a little space for me, I'm getting into paradise with you. <laughs> right? That's not going to happen like that. This is one, according to us, whoever chooses a path besides Islam, will never be accepted. And guess what? You're, you're more than free to believe that I'm going to hell according to your religion. No problem. Salvation only belongs to someone who believes that Jesus died on the cross. You want to keep that as your belief, which most people do, Christians? Continue. Who's going to stop you from that? But do not force that upon me to say that I must be able to. I must be understanding, accommodating, and fulan, fulan, and then change my ideals. So this is something tricky, especially in university when we are dealing with different groups and you're part of the MSA and you have to connect with other groups and so forth. That's the unfortunate hard issue that many youth face. That while we had a parade for Palestine, all these guys showed up. Now they want to have another type of parade and they expect you to show up. Now what are you going to do? It's a tough situation, right? So that's why the one who has strong Iman he won't get deterred. Most of us, unfortunately, we fail. We falter. We make mistakes here. 
But the one who has a strong iman will say, Bayaum, you came for who? Ikhlas kidare. Where's your ikhlas? Where's your sincerity? If you, that's what we tell each other. You came for God to please Him. You're not coming to. You weren't coming for me. Don't do it for me. Do it for God. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna come and assist you in what you're doing, I'm gonna do it because I think what that's what Allah wants me to do. It's ordered by Allah. It's rewarding. I'm not gonna do to make you happy, and then tomorrow you want me to make you happy in your weird ways. Then we have no deen left. So this is a very important verse of the Quran for you and I. We're dealing with uh, a pluralistic society where you have different groups, different people of different religions. And yes, you have to learn how to get along. But we should also have this much level of uh, friendliness, you want to call it, or understanding that we all can agree that we agree to disagree. Agree to lead our own lifestyle. That we are only going to partner up on things that maybe it's a 1% of our faith. Things that we can work together on. Feeding the poor. We have no issues on that. Let's feed the poor together. But any other type of theological issues, there's no reason for us to be sitting there uh, trying to work together on it. That we saw in this past week, people have announced that they're canceling a lot of the interfaith work until the synagogues that they worked with would openly denounce the type of aggression that's taking place overseas. Um, and some people may think that, you know, that is... Uh, not appropriate, but hey, that's the least a person can be doing. That a person can be saying that that's what's expected from us all the time, 24-7. We're always guilty for whatever else happens. And in any incident, any Muslim does anything, immediately the guilt falls upon us. So once in a great while, once in a blue moon, if you're asked to share a message condemning what's happening in the name of, 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 our, of your faith, then a person shouldn't feel that that's, being, that's too much being asked. So this is possibly one of the reasons why this surah was revealed, and especially the initial surah, initial verses. Another report is that two disbelievers from Makkah, Walid ibn Mughira and Shayba ibn Rabi'ah, they came from Makkah and they said, Ya Rasulullah, oh, oh Muhammad, we will give you half of the entire wealth of Makkah. This whole idea of buying out scholars and buying out governments is an old trick in the book. You wonder, oh, how come such and such Muslim country isn't standing up today? How come, where's all the 55 Muslim countries? What happened to them? This is an old trick. You buy people out, right? You use the carrot or the stick to make sure they abide by what you want them to do. So they said, we'll come and give you half of the money that we have. You simply just zip up and don't see anything but your prophethood. And if you do that, if you withdraw, withdraw, withhold your call from prophethood, we won't have anything to do. So they offered half of the money. Hypocrites and the Jews came of Medina and they began to threaten him. They said, we'll kill you if you don't stop claiming to be a prophet. A third incident, a third possible narration is that during the Hudaybiyah, after the, after the treaty of Hudaybiyah was signed, in which the Muslims and non-Muslims were not fighting with each other. We talked about it in the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatih. Abu Sufyan, uh, Ikrama, the son of Abu Jahl, Abu, Abu Al-A'war Sulami, these three individuals, they came to Medina. Abu Sufyan at that time obviously was not a Muslim. And they said, yeah, oh Muhammad, you stop speaking ill of our gods. Or simply say, that these gods of ours will intercede on our behalf on the day of judgment or in the future, whenever. And that these gods will bring benefit to us. Just say this. 
say that these gods will be benefit to us. If you do this, then we will do on our part, we will forget about you and your Lord. And the dispute will be all over. Many brothers, they go on Twitter and social media and they start attacking Fulan government. Fulan scholar, why are you not denouncing so and so? You know what I'm talking about? Why are you not denouncing so and so? Why are you not doing this, this and that? And they say all kinds of stuff. Are you, are you a wuss? You're scared? What's this? What's that? The guy who's saying it, he's saying it on behind a false Twitter account. He doesn't have a dollar to his account. He hasn't done anything for the deen. So he's got nothing to lose anyway. You throw him in the jail, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? You probably show up to his house. Probably there's nothing, no aspect of deen. You're like wondering, is this a Muslim's house or a kafir's house? Right? The type of lifestyle he's leading. But what does he do? He sits there behind on the social media and he attacks Muslims. He says, why are you not doing enough? Why are you not doing enough? Why are you not doing more? My dear friends, what, for one thing I want to say is that this is absolutely not productive behavior. This type of attack, we're already, we're already being slaughtered left and right, everywhere. We don't need another t Twitter warrior to go up there and start attacking more Muslims. Start attacking more Muslims. You really think the prime minister or the president of a country is going to go through his you know, feed and say, oh, mashallah, one little you know, high school dropout is sitting there while he's high on his vapes. He's tweeting about me. Chalo, let me go see what he's got to say. You think he really cares? What is the purpose of that? All of this chit-chat chatter online about attacking so-and-so, attacking so-and-so is lahu, is useless, abath, is of no benefit. Instead, a person should Use that time to hold his tasbih and do zikr. Do a fresh wudu and pray to rakat salah. And spend the time in between, spend that time in sujood, begging Allah Azza wa Jal for help. And most definitely that will be much more rewarding than attacking people. Second thing I want to say, for any of us who may, who, may not be, who may not be doing things like that, but in our heart we say, why doesn't so-and-so alim, why doesn't so-and-so scholar do something? And I know this thought is coming in the minds of many of you sitting here right now, probably. The question is, why don't you do something? It's easy to sit back, not do anything, and to think that those people who are doing something should do more. When in reality, we haven't done anything. I've spoken about this in some other talk of mine here. That we should stop, you know, be bench warmers and attack people without having done anything ourselves for the deen. Many times a person, a position, a scholar who has, let's say, a very, a very strong position in the world, on social media or in a, as he's an imam of a government I mean imam in a big masjid that's run by the government of a Muslim country you do not know what his position is very likely he has his hands tied behind his back very likely his family is under duress and pressure if he dares say anything that goes off the script he's not going to see his kids tonight if he says anything against his against what the government wants him to say that will be the last that his congregation has ever heard of him. Am I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. We have certain countries that have 30,000 ulama in jail at the moment. 30,000 ulama. That's, you know, what, what kind of number is that? That's like equivalent to like a large portion of the Muslim population of probably one of the largest cities of this country. 30,000 ulama in jail. How many of them are still alive? We don't know. How many of them have been tortured to death? We don't know. No idea. Some of the most senior clerks, some of the most senior imams of the most holiest places of the entire world are in jail for the past three years. No one has heard. Anytime someone makes a comment that, you know what, we need to stand up for what's right, Twitter account is disabled, 
in a house, I have watched, I've seen videos, while the Imam was giving the khutbah, Juma khutbah, subhanallah, I saw this, give me, you know, goosebumps, while he's giving the khutbah on the mic, the police comes, yanks him off, and a car is waiting, and they take him away. Right? Now, obviously, I'm talking about only Muslim countries here. So when a person, he stands there, and he says, brother, please stop this divorce business. Brother, please stop this oppression of the, of, of the wife. Please stop the oppression of the husband. Please have, teach your kids Quran. Brother, please take care of your parents. Yes, he's not saying what you want him to say. But at least he's saying the 99% of the other things. And he's still alive and he's, he's on the member. What do you want him? You want him to just make a big, say something, and then the next day, khalas, he's gone? You follow what I'm trying to say? So some of the youth, the mashallah, majority youth sitting here, you need to understand this point, what I'm saying. It's not like the, all the people who, are, who, have the, who have the mic in their hands or all the people who've got the huge Twitter following don't have any aql or have no taqwa. They have to choose whether they want to serve the deen and help with majority, majority of the issues or take one issue and speak about that and close the entire door of khidmah of deen. So sitting back, it may seem like, why doesn't he say this? Why doesn't he say that? And I know one of the most uh, famous scholars of the world online was being attacked this week for this very same reason. He mentioned, may Allah have mercy on the people of Gaza. May Allah have mercy on the people of Palestine. All right? This is what he mentioned on there. Now what's attack? What, do you, what are they getting upset at? Why do you not mention the aggressor? A huge yani, Twitter war on this. Why do you not mention the aggressor? Why are you scared? And the guy himself, he, his mom doesn't even listen to him. He doesn't, no one, he's a, he's a loser sitting at home, right? Subhanallah. And he's sitting there and saying this. Reminds me of the story of Harun Rashid I've shared with you. When, uh, uh, when he fought with his brother, Mahmoud Rashid, and he, he fought with his brother. Two big princes, they had a big fight. So when he's walking by with his entourage, there was a, uh, you know, simple, cobbler, what you call a guy who was big shoes, a cobbler on the street. He was sitting there and he said, in a, he said something. So he said it out loud. The king who was going through it in his entourage heard it. He said, what is this guy saying? Call him. So he called him and said, but what did you say? He said, I just said that ever since the king fought with his brother, he has fallen from my esteem. I lost all respect for him. So the, this was in our book of Adab literature. This story is mentioned there. And the title of this uh, the story, he said, what are you talking about? Look at like, what in the world are you? Who are you to be saying this? And the title of this story was Anfun Filma wa Istun Fisama. The nose is in the is in the in the water and the backside is in the sky. Right? I Meaning look at you, you have no haqiqah, no reality. You've got nothing to say, but here you are making comments on, on, on the king. So this is an important point that we have emotions. I know, as youngsters, we have a lot of emotions. But please, use your, channel your emotions in the right direction. Do not do things that are foolish yourself. And do not do things that are short-lived excitement. You know, our deen is not reactionary. Our deen is not reactionary. We have to use our mind. As one of some of the ulama were, were mentioning, that by going and screaming slogans only, without any you know without any connection with dua is not going to help obviously change the world if a person wants to uh, end 
bloodshed and oppression, you have to sit. Batil and falsehood is so smart, so calculating, so well thought out, so well planned. Why is it that haq, or those of us who claim to be part of haq, why are we so reactionary? And why are we so unorganized, unplanned, and just start doing things just like, you know, rajman bil ghayb, just shoot over here, shoot over there, shooting in the dark as the Quran says. That doesn't give you any return. It actually just causes more problems. Are you following me? So if a person wants to bring some change, you have to do it through tartib, proper way. There's massive lobbies in this, in, this, in this country. There's a lot of money that's spent. A lot of planning. You know how every single person, you all know this story, what I'm saying. Anyone who's running major, for a major office, even in this country, even in this city, you're aware that they're taken for Umrah. Umrah to where? To Israel. Right? There's a whole massive system to take anyone running for public office, especially even in the city of Chicago, and in bigger cities, and, and as well as in the, at, at a national level, take them for a tour. Ajao by free, you know, five-star vacation. Come bring in your wife, bring your kids. Enjoy the best of hotels, the beaches, whatnot. Who wouldn't want a paid-for vacation? But the idea is you get to hear our side of the story. That's all we want. We're not giving you pamphlets and flyers and forcing you to do something. But just listen. Enjoy our hospitality and go back. You're aware of this. Massive system. Even every, the mayors over here go through this system. High school students. Hundreds of high school students every year yeah, are taken every single year over there to here. When I was visiting Palestine, I thought about this. I said, where's our tour? Where's our tour? Because trust me, when you sit with Palestinians in a bus with Muslims, boy, you get another side of the story. You don't even have to listen to them. You just watch how you're being treated. I, I spoke about this in detail the other day after Fajr in Ramadan. If you hadn't heard, you can go back to my Fajr uh, talk on this. But you get a very different perspective. That's so important. And that's the sad thing is that the politicians see one side of the perspective. They never see the other side of the perspective. We are not on the table. Uh, we are not on the table saying, here we go, can we, can we plan something else? I was speaking to some youth, mashallah, who opened up a nice business, car business. And I mentioned to them yesterday, I said, our brother, you're selling burgers, you're selling clothes, you're selling cars, you're selling watches. We all as Muslims have to have a vision. How can my business bring people closer to Allah? All the time, even if you're a customer service of some random department, right? You're answering phone calls. When you say, don't, don't ruin your name when you say what's your name, first of all. Right? Don't slaughter it so the guy can never figure out whether you're Hindu, you're Muslim, or what you are. Or not even that, he thinks you're Mexican. Because the way we pronounce it. So if we, don't have, if we do not have honor for our own name, who's going to have honor for our name? Have you ever heard a Mexican trying to, uh, you know, anglicize his name? Huh? An Italian, we're like, what? How do I even pronounce that? Where do I even start? No one anglicizes, not, not the Russians, not the Ukrainians, not the Poles, not the, uh, you know, Mexicans. But it's us, bichara Muslims, who feel shy with our name that we have to anglicize it. Most of the first year students when they come here to study, or even the summer intensive, I'd say 80% of them don't know how to pronounce their name. They don't know whether it's Ha or Ha, they don't know if it's Hamza, if it's Alif, is Ya, Ain, nothing. I'm telling you, vast majority of students who come here do not know how to pronounce their name. 
And they're coming to study deen, so they're obviously, mashallah, very motivated. But we are, we're raised in homes in which this is we're shunned. That by do not pronounce your name in a proper manner, lest you be thrown into jail. This is the fear. So when you as a customer service or whatever, you're pronouncing your name properly, all of a sudden the guy knows you're a Muslim. So now, any akhlaq and nice character that you have with this individual, anything you do with this individual, he's immediately going to reflect this with the deen. As a businessman, any nice things that you do with him, immediately say, what an honest Muslim. Not what an honest businessman. What an honest brown guy. No, that doesn't help the cause. Trust me. You have to, I want you to say, what an honest Muslim. Oh, mashallah, your culture teaches you. No, you need to correct that. My culture doesn't teach me that. My religion teaches me that. Oh, is that because of your ethnicity? No, it's not. It's because of my religious beliefs. Anytime anyone attributes whatever good you're doing towards your culture or ethnicity, you need to correct that and say, it's not because of that. It's because of my faith. My faith teaches me. You understand? So whatever business we're doing, beloved brothers and sisters, we have to ensure that we are furthering the message of deen. So this is a very important aspect that when it comes to working with others, ensure that we do not do what we call mudahana. What's mudahana? Mudahana is when you kiss up to someone and you, you water down the deen. This is called mudahana. Mudara, mudahana is not allowed. When we change our faith. So when I look at people who are in position and power and they are doing things that are not, I know, I don't feel comfortable or I think are incorrect, immediately what goes through my mind is, what would I be doing if I was in his position? If I had, the way I'm speaking to you openly, if I had one million people listening to me right now, 900,000 of them non-Muslims, I obviously would be very different in the way I'm approaching, the way I'm approaching right now. Yeah? That's how it is. So I thank Allah that I'm not in that position. I thank Allah that I don't have the, you know, that, 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 that fame and that name or whatever else comes with that. That makes it so difficult to tread that path. May Allah protect us from all of that. I mean, may Allah keep us away from the limelight. All of you and all of us. Right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always protect us from, from saying anything which will become a source of harm coming to the deen or coming to ourselves. I mean. Right? So this is uh, something what you should go through your mind. Do not be judgmental about people. Instead of say, if I was in this position, what would I be saying? Probably not even come to the, maybe a person say, I'm not even, if I was that famous, I wouldn't even come to the masjid. They don't want to get caught with a bunch of Muslims. Right? So, you know, so you're not famous, so that's why you're saying this. No one's looking at you. This is what the, the idea is. So these are the various verses, of theirs, these are the various backgrounds why this possibly, this surah was revealed. Now, going into the surah itself. Allah Azza wa Jal says, Ittaqillah. Ya ayyuhan Nabi, sorry. Ya ayyuhan Nabi, O Prophet of Allah. Let's, let's take this word. The Prophet ﷺ, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, is the only Prophet, the only Prophet who is not addressed by his first name ever in the Quran. Every single Prophet is mentioned in the Quran on the first name basis. Allah mentions in Surah Al-Baqarah, Ya Adam, you and your wife reside in paradise. Allah says in Surah Al-Imran, Ya Isa, O Isa, inni matawafiqa wa rafi'uka, I'm going to pull you back to, into the heavens. Allah says in Surah Hud, Ya Nuh, O Nuh, innahu laysa min ahlik, your son is not from your family. Allah says in Surah Maryam, Ya Zakariya, 
Oh, Zakaria, indeed, we're going to give you the glad tidings of a son. His name is Yahya. So majority of the prophets have been addressed on a first name basis. Except for the Prophet ﷺ. He has never been addressed ever by his first name. Instead, every place Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses what we call a sifa, an attribute. So a person has ismu that and ismu sifa. A person has his a name of his being, person, and the name of the attribute. For example, there is Dr. Khalid. So we can call him Khalid, that's his name. And then doctor is his was, it's his attribute. There's two ways. You address him as doctor, you address him as Khalid, or you address him as Dr. Khalid. So the, similarly, the Prophet ﷺ has his name, Muhammad. Never, this is called Ismu that. This name has never been used. He's never been addressed by that. Instead, whenever he's called out, he's called out by one of the attributes. And this is to show the status and the honor he has. What, are some, what is the biggest, best attribute? Being a prophet, being a messenger. Nabi and Rasul. That is why throughout the Quran, you'll see, Ya Yuhan Nabi, Ya Yuhan Rasul. Ya Yuhan Nabi, Ya Yuhan Rasul. Ya Yuhan Nabi, Ya Rasul. Oh, messenger or prophet. Oh, messenger or prophet. And then you have other things as well. Ya Yuhan Muddaffir, Ya Yuhan Muzammil. Oh, the one who, is, who has put a garment around himself. Uh, a, 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 a blanket around himself. This was addressing the Prophet ﷺ in the initial revelation. Only four places in the Quran, the Prophet ﷺ, first of all, his name is taken. And none of them are in insha or khitab form. None of them are he's being addressed. Instead, it's a jumla khabariya. It's, it's khabar. It's not insha. It's narrating something. Why are these four places mentioned? For example, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ Okay? In Surah Al-Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Muhammad is not but a messenger. What, what's the purpose of showing there? That Muhammad, the one who you believe is a messenger of Allah, he's not God. So if he dies, don't turn back. Don't give up on Islam just because he passes away. He's a human. He's a messenger. And Allah is going to have a time for him to come back. So he pulled him back. Similarly, Muhammadur Rasulullah in Surah Fatih. Allah says, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. He is not what you are claiming to be. But he is also a messenger of Allah. He is very honorable. So the four places where Muhammad Wasallam, his name is taken, it's actually there for a purpose. He's not being called upon. He is not being addressed. Instead, it's a statement. Allah is saying Muhammad is a messenger of Allah. The purpose is to send a message that he is not the son of Allah. He is not God himself. Or that he is very, very honorable. You ought to respect him. Does it make sense? Everyone got that? So this is a special status of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and how he is addressed. Very important uh, aspect. Allah jalla jalalhu mentions amazing things ulama have mentioned. I want to share with you how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam so highly that he doesn't speak about anyone else like this. The ulama say, لَقَدْ زَكَّ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى نَبِيِّنَا تَسْكِيَةً مَا زَكَّهَا لِأَحَدٍ مِنْ خَلْقٍ The Prophet, Allah Azza wa Jal, has purified, has purified and given a bill of purification, has honored the Prophet has proven his innocence the way he has not done for anyone else. Zakkahu fi aqli faqala. I'm gonna read this in Arabic for those of you who listened to it first and appreciate it. Zakkahu fi aqli faqala ma dalla sahibukum ma gawa. Zakkahu fi basari faqala ma zaga al basar wa ma taga. Zakkahu fi fuadi faqala ma kathab al fuadu ma raa. Zakkahu fi sadri faqala alam nashrah laka sadrak. Zakkahu fi fi dhikri faqala wa rafa'na laka dhikrak. 
زكاه في ظهري فقال ووضعنا عنك وزرك زكاه في معلمه فقال علمه شديد القوى زكاه في صدقه فقال وما ينطق عن الهوى زكاه في حلمه فقال بالمؤمنين رؤوف الرحيم زكاه كله فقال إنك لعلى خلق عظيم سبحان الله right? Every aspect of Rasulullah sallam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has purified him He has purified him and he has said that his aql, his intelligence is above and all beyond anyone and he said your companion has not been misguided nor is he gone astray he purified his gaze and he said your, you, the prophet ﷺ's gaze has, has not strayed away he purified his heart and he said the heart did not lie what, it's, what it has seen in Mi'raj the, the prophet ﷺ's heart has been purified did we not expand your chest Zakahu fi dhahri, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purified his back. Faqala warafa'na laka, sorry, Allah purified his dhikr, his, his mention. Faqala warafa'na laka dhikra. We elevated your remembrance. Zakahu fi, zakahu fi, zakahu fi dhahri. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purified him in his back and he said, wa wada'na anka wizrak. We have removed all the burden from Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. What else? Allah Azza wa Jal then mentions Zakahu fi Sidqi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purified him in his speech. He doesn't speak out of his own whims and desires. Zakahu fi Hilmi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purified him in his forbearance. And he said, Bil Mu'minina Ra'ufur Rahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very kind with the believers. And Zakahu Kullahu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purified his entire existence by saying, Indeed, you enjoy and you are on top of the most amazing, most noble character. So there you go, that is Nabi alayhi salatu salam. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored him in the Quran like no other. And we're seeing that today here as we're reading this, that he addresses him in a manner that he hasn't addressed anyone else. Believe it or not, in Surah Hijr, in the 14th Jews, Allah takes an oath on the Prophet life. He says, I swear by your life. Allah is taking an oath on the life of the Prophet. I swear by your life, indeed they are intoxicated in their lust. He's speaking about the people of Lut They're intoxicated. And they are lost and blinded in their lust. Dear brothers, Today we, exp we see that the Muslim community, we're always complaining, why is it in such a pitfall and a downfall? Why are there so many issues? It, and I know many of the brothers will, can speak about this for hours and say, why, is, why are the Muslim countries lowest in literacy? Why are the Muslim countries lowest in, in fulan and in akhlaq and this, that, all sorts of things. Why when an ambulance comes here, you know, everyone moves away. Over there, no one cares whether it's ambulance, whether what it is, they won't move, right? These type of things. There's many explanations and reasons for that. But one thing I want to say is when, instead of blaming other people, let's blame ourselves on one thing, is that we need real examples. When you don't have an example in front of you, when you don't have good exposure, basically, when you don't have someone who talks the way he believes, believes in what he talks, talks what he believes, talks the talks, walks the walk, he, he has no, he's not two-faced. Whatever is inside is outside, whatever is outside is inside. When you do not have such people in front of you, then people don't know any better. 
They don't understand that this is how you're supposed to live in society. We have a lack of such morally upright people. It's like gas stations. How do you expect your car to run without having gas from a gas station? After 100 miles, no gas station on the road, you're eventually your car is going to stop working. You're going to have to stop on the side of the road and wait. People who are not two-faced, people who live based on certain principles, they are like stations of nur. When you don't have those stations available, you're going to run out of nur. And you're going to run out of spiritual gas. And you're going to go broke. Your car is going to, your soul is going to break down. And you won't be able to move forward. Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam was that amazing powerhouse. That he stood as an example in front of the sahaba. Okay, if you want to be like someone, this is how you do. This is how you act at home. This is how you act outside. SubhanAllah. How he act with his wives, how he act outside, no difference. How he act in public, how he act in private, no difference. How he act with the little child, how he act with the leaders of the, uh, of the enemy, no difference. And that was imparted into the Sahaba. To the extent that the Sahaba, wherever they traveled, they didn't have to carry big, big books and literature and, and CDs and you know, MP3s and lectures and so forth. Hey, you want to learn about Islam? Read inshallah these books and you'll learn about Islam. Instead, they simply said, Kunu mithlana tuflihu. Kunu mithlana. Become like us, like us, you'll be successful. Become like us, you'll be successful. How many of you think you can say this? How many of you, you bring up you know, a brother in, in college, right? And, and you bring him to the, you bring him to the uh, masjid and you want him to accept Islam. How many of you sisters and brothers who are listening to me can say to your college friend, Kunu mithli tuflih. Become like me and you'll be successful. Become like me and I promise you get to paradise. Become like me and you will be raised with the Prophet. I can't say that. How many of us can here can say that? Because our lives are not really in accordance to the way the Sharia asked us to be. So that's why we're saying go to the masjid. You might find something. You might find a book in the bookshelf there. Read it. That's what Islam is about. You've heard countless stories of, of converts saying that thank God they met Islam before they've met Muslims. Had they met Islam, had they met Muslims before they met Islam, they would have never accepted Islam. That's, I have heard myself from not, uh, converts who became scholars and imams right now in masjids. They told me this themselves. Themselves, about their own story. They're imams now. They said, had we met Muslims before we, came, we learned about Islam, we would not have ever become a Muslim. Thank God we learned about Islam through books instead of learning through people. So the problem lies within me. That we, um, as a, the, you, if I cannot present myself to my classmates, my coworkers, as an ideal Muslim, then you have a, a million like me or a hundred million like me. Then what do you call it? You call that a d dysfunctional Muslim country. That's what it is. A dysfunctional Muslim country is made up of a hundred million people like me. Who none of them are practicing the deen the way it's supposed to be practiced. So what do you expect? How do you expect any khair and goodness to come on there? The key thing is we need to. Asal Maslaik, the ones who, who criticize these Muslim countries and find fault in all the people, they're the ones who are at the bottom of the ladder when it comes to akhlaq. So how about we start ourselves? Change starts from home. Charity starts from home. We start changing ourselves to say, I need to stop being two-faced. I need to stop being different from at home and in the masjid. And in work and at home. I need to ensure that I should leave a lead a level of Islam that non-Muslims 
will be flocking towards the deen just by my one interaction. Give them that vibe, man. Give them that energy. Give them that passion about the deen. That when they speak to us for a minute, they're like, wow, this guy is passionate about his, whatever, he's, he's passionate about his faith. Because you're so excited to go for Jummah. You're, you're sharing the message you heard from Jummah with your co-workers. You're not constantly pushing them towards becoming Muslim. No. You heard some nice things. You think they get to hear khutbahs? I promise you. You think the khutbahs you hear in your masjids? You think they get to hear this in the church? Who speaks about humbleness and humility today in a church, in a synagogue? Who's speaking about, you know, or the, the whole beauty of, of ikhlas and make sure your name is not known? Who's speaking about haya anymore? These are things gone. Who's speaking about, you know, Jannah lies at the feet of the mother and the father being the middle door of paradise? These talks don't happen. These talks, mashallah, you and I take it for granted because we hear it every day. Share this with your coworkers. Share this, share this with your patients. Share this with your friends, your colleagues. And the whole goal for them is that your, your life also becomes enjoyable. Whether you choose to become a Muslim or not, come as come, at least dunya may at least enjoy your life. Because without, as our ulama say, sunnat ke baghair hayawaniyat hai. Without sunnah, you're not human. No, you're an animal. That's what it is. Eating, drinking, and reproduction. Don't animals do this? Sleeping, animals do this. They have all have a house. Look at the birds who have a nest. Look at all the rabbits that got their hole. Ghar, khana, pina, shadi, biya. You know, this stuff, all of these things animals do. The only thing that separates us from animals is sunnah. When sunnah comes into our life, it's by spending $100,000 in a wedding, you don't become human. You don't become different from the animal. Take it. Instead, by doing it according to the sunnah of the Prophet that's where the change, the difference between us and animals comes in. Very deep point. So you want people to lead a nice life, do you not? Even non-Muslims. Unfortunately, if it's written for them to die with kufr, what can we do? But at least we want them to lead a nice life. And the life, nice life will come through deen. That's why today miswak is becoming common amongst non-Muslims. Today the sunnah method of sitting, all the, 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 the this people used to say, Oh my God, I'm not going to go to the bathroom like that. What is this? This whole, this, that. What's the whole system? How all the, all the, all the doctors and the medical experts, especially when the toilet paper rolls ran out, then what happened? Everyone started thinking about using water. Yeah, then they woke up to that, right? And then it took COVID for them to start realizing you're supposed to wash your, face, your, your hands. We've been, alhamdulillah, washing. Three-year-olds have been washing their hands and come out of the bathroom. Thirty-year-olds don't know that. They just, they don't get it. They just wash and they go right back to their work. This is the, that's why employees must wash. Can you imagine that? Putting it in a masjid, musallis must wash their hands after using the bathroom. Kabi right? We don't need to put that. Alhamdulillah. We never need to even put to stand, sit down and urinate. But unfortunately, our youth have been affected by their environment outside. And dekha deki, you know, whatever the sheep, wherever the sheep are going, we run like them. Say, oh, it must be cool. This is the new way. You stand up and urinate. Chal, let's do this too. So they brought that filth to our masjids. So that's why the masjids have to put this sign. Otherwise, there's no reason for us to even put that sign. Either. So the idea of sitting down and using the restroom, that's part of the deen. And then the squatting. How much it's healthier for your GI tract. How it helps you if you've got hemorrhoids. How it helps you most definitely for hygiene. That you're not sitting. People, look at the aqal pe parde kaise pare. When someone sees a sunnah toilet, they say, oh, it's dirty. But he doesn't realize and she doesn't realize by when you're sitting on the same toilet that everyone else before you, 100,000 people before you sat on that restroom toilet, wherever it is. How in the world is that hygiene? How is that clean? And over here, only your shoes are touching the ground. No skin is touching any part of any toilet. And you think that's dirty? Sunnah. Sunnah is liberating. 
Sunnah is healthy. Sunnah is, subhanAllah, gonna give you happiness. And slowly they'll catch up. They'll figure out. From washing hands to miswak to squatting on the bathroom, now it's becoming, you know, this other types of stools you can find in Walmart and Sam's Club, everything. Where, is it, where did this come from? The stools there that people are using right around the toilets to put around the toilets, super common thing now. Because they also figured out, oh, this is subhanAllah, this is something. Right, the way the Muslims do it. There's actually an article I read on BBC. Why the West is so backwards in, in, uh, in bathrooms. Whole article that the East, yani the Muslims are so ahead in, in hygiene and in sanitary hygiene and using the restrooms. Any of you read that article? Right? It's very interesting. You can read it. It's, it's on the BBC website. We're really backwards. They got to the sky, they got to the moon, but they haven't learned to wash your hands. So what is that? We, we, but we're also becoming like that. We also say, no, we want to do dekha deki. We, whatever others are doing, we're doing that. So subhanAllah. We learn that the, the sunnah of Rasulullah is what is liberating, what's beautiful. Allah Azza wa Jal now tells this Prophet, Ittaqillah, fear Allah. Now how, can, how is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling the Prophet where, did, where was that whole long discussion by the way? I just want to round it up. What was that in? The fact that when you see problems in a Muslim society, it's because what? The lack of what? Good examples. The lack of people who are following the Sharia and the Sunnah. When they are present, then you will see society different. Wallahi, you'll see society different. You'll have peace and love within the homes. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our community like that. Say, I mean, mashallah, so nice to see people moving. Mashallah, we have a brother sitting here, also moved all the way from the other end of the world. He just moved to the community. Actually, I haven't gotten a chance to even greet him. I see him here. Moved all the way from India. Uh, for his children's education, alhamdulillah. Uh, and you see all these people from across the country and now the globe also coming here. We should all make niyyah that, Ya Allah, make this community a model society that whoever comes here really becomes an ashik and a lover of sunnah. That from this masjid, whoever's listening online or whoever's listening in person, takes sunnah back home so every home around here becomes full of peace. And so that even the non-Muslims say there's something different in the air. Look at the police officers that came here during Ramadan. And I chit-chatted with a number of them. And they were all just amazed. They were calling their boss and they're like, wow, this place, man, where did you send me? This is awesome. And I chit-chatted with them. Hi, how, how do you hear? How, what, you know, you're listening to the tilawa. What is it? I don't understand what it is, but it's so soothing. It's so beautiful. It's so invigorating. It is just so powerful. Right? I understand. I'm like, look at this. 800 people coming together at 11 p.m., 12 p.m., 12 a.m. To the, to the masjid. He's like, man, I can understand. This is tough. This is crazy. I can understand. I can feel the warmth between you people. That brings this, this verse, whatever is being recited, is a magnet that brings people together. At 12 o'clock at night, you know, eight, seven, eight hundred people coming together and performing salah after a long day at work. That's it. When you create a solid environment, my dear friends, like what happened to Abu Lubaba, right? Who, who was, a, was a very big fama, uh, when he came and he was a very big big tribal leader and a very big kafir who had killed hundreds of Muslims eventually as we, as we studied that he was going for Umrah as a non-Muslim going for Umrah and he didn't come with his entourage and the guards around Medina those who were doing the night duty they saw a random bandit some random dude unidentified who are you? grabbed him they had no idea who he is. They brought him in. And they brought him in and they tied him to the, hey, bhai, kidar ho? Kidar ja ho? Aja. They brought him inside, tied him to one of the pillars of, of, of Masjid al-Nabwi. So we'll see you tomorrow. 
Nabi Sallallahu comes in the morning to the masjid for Fajr Salah. He sees. It's Al Capone himself. Al Capone is tied to the pillar. Like, what? Who brought this guy over here? Nabi Sallallahu said, who brought this guy over here? They said, we did. He said, do you have any idea who you brought here? He's one of the most powerful warlords who has inflicted so much harm upon the Muslims. What are you doing? How'd you find him? Like, well, we caught him off guard. Just like, we had no idea who he was. We're just doing our job. We brought him over here. So it's like, you know how they catch these drug cartel leaders. Imagine that. Like, you know, they caught a huge guy. So he's tied there. And Nabi Sallallahu every day comes in. He said, by kilaw, bilaw, khub, be honor him. Give him nice things. And Rasulullah every day would come and give him da'wah. Do you want to accept Islam? He says, uh-uh. He says, listen, if you, uh, I'm asking you to be kind, with, kind to me. If you kill me, yeah, I've got a lot of blood on my hands, true. But if you, if you forgive me, boy, I'll take care of you, basically. If you let me go, I'll take care of you. If you kill me, I know you have a right to kill me. But if you forgive me, you know, it'll be very nice. Every day, three days in a row, Rasulullah asks him. Akhir mein Rasulullah said, chhodo usko. Untie him, let him go. Sahaba was shocked. Like, what's going on? Nabi Sallam said, let him go. See, that's the thing, man. This is why youth who are all excited, you need to have wisdom. You need to have wisdom. Learn from Rasulullah Sallam. That, that the elders and the senior ulama sometimes have wisdom with the youngsters don't understand. Even the young ulama don't understand. That comes through Allah. Through, Allah inspires you after some time. Allah gives you hikmah and wisdom that comes through age. So Nabi Sallam, imagine if, you, if the young guys were here today. They say, what is this? How wrong is this? Nabi Sallallahu said, let him go. He left, he got up, he thanked Rasulullah he walked out. And he went, he packed up and he left. He went away to, uh, to one of the nearby gardens where there was some fresh well water there. He freshened up, did some wudu there. He drank some water, he came back. And then he came back to the masjid and he said, Ashadu wa la ilaha illallah. I bear witness that none besides Allah is, a, is, a, is the true God. And I bear witness that you are the messenger of Allah. And the story is that I, Islam had already entered in my heart. But I did not want to enter Islam as a tied prisoner. People will always say that I accepted Islam because I was forced into it. I wanted to walk away as a free man. And then turn back and come back and say that I have come back out of my own will. Subhanallah. What was happening? Grab this khajur toso usko. Right? Just grab him, give anything, make it a Muslim overnight. I remember this one brother over here, <laughs> our, you know, our ex-janitor. One day, and he was crying, he was shocked. Like, they made me a Muslim, they made me a Muslim. Like, what happened? Who made you a Muslim? He came to Mufti Minaj, he was like, they forced him to say the kalima. He thought, khalas is over now, finish, I can't go to the church anymore. Right? This is not the proper way, man. This is not that wisdom. This is not the hikmah of just forcing down the deen upon people. However, that doesn't mean also we ignore the people. We show them, we show people, when people come, they're not looking at pamphlets. They're looking at the quality of our salah. Trust me, when a guy walks in, a non-Muslim walks in here, he sees a young 10-year-old, uh, an elderly 80-year-old, sitting there performing salah. And in his salah, he's crying in front of Allah. He's doing a, a two-minute rukur. He's doing a four-minute sajda. Don't you think that's going to hit him? Sheikh Hashim Ahmad, who is our guest speaker and who is a guest lecturer, who will be giving the final hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari on June 20th. Yes, 18th is the weekend. Thank you. MashaAllah, you know your sabak. June 18th weekend on Sunday is our Khatma al-Bukhari. Everyone knows that? Right? Our seven-year graduates from the Takmil program, Alhamdulillah, will be graduating. A second batch of ulama on Sunday. 
So mashallah, Sheikh Hashim is coming from, uh, right now he's in California, he's coming to give the teach the last final hadith. You'll see him, all of you. He's one of the most senior convert ulama alive. Long story, we can spend a weekend speaking about his life story. We'll ask him inshallah if he can throw it in, a little bit of it, if possible, and maybe on a late night session or something like that. But I want to just give you a gist of it, one part of it. One part of it is, he, was, he, went, he went around looking for God. He was part of the hippie movement. You know, he used to go out camping by Big Sur out in California. And then he went all the way to, uh, he went on a massive multi-thousand mile trip across America, across Europe, Belgium, and you know, what you call Swiss Alps, and Pataniki, all over. Eventually, he ended up going through France and Spain. Eventually, he hopped over to Africa. He went through a whole trip through Northern Africa, Algeria and Libya and Tunisia and Fulan, Egypt, and all the way on gone to Sudan. Looking for Islam, all the way to Ethiopia, if I'm not mistaken, he went to Habasha as well. One thing which you ask him, what led you to Islam? I mean, what, there's so many incidents that happened, but he said one of the most powerful things happened to me when I was boarded a ship that was crossing over from Egypt to Sudan with a bunch of Sudanese farmers. They had come to sell or purchase their cows and they were coming back. The most baddu people you can imagine. Absolute, absolute nomads. Absolutely uncultured. Right? No sense of any thaqafa, any type of culture at all. And they were just sitting all over the place. Imagine you're sitting on a boat on a river and uh, hundreds of cows and hundreds of these Sudanese farmers. And he was just sitting there and he said, all of a sudden, some guy stood up and gave the adhan. When the adhan was called, all these so-called unruly people, uncultured people just stood up, shoulder to shoulder, absolutely in, in sequence, amazing sequence. And they followed the imam in salah, perfectly. And he said, that's when Islam came into my heart. Just by the salah of these people. I said, what must be this religion that can take such people like this and instantaneously can bring them onto the line like this. La ilaha illallah. The saf of salah, the straightness of the saf, and them following the imam, he said, that's what became the message, the powerful message of Islam entered my heart. And today, he's been teaching Bukhari Sharif for 30 years. Can you imagine? His, all his sons are ulama. All of them are hafid and alims in different parts of the country and different, different states. MashaAllah. Right? So, what was I saying? When someone walks into this masjid, my beloved brothers and sisters, they should sense that look at the quality of so-and-so's salah. Look at that zikr that he's doing in the corner. Look at the dua she's doing over there. And the zikr and the dua that you did here before you leave, it leaves a residue over here. It leaves what? A residue. It creates an ambiance even when you're gone. <coughs> so when someone comes here, just by, just by entering it, he'll feel Islam is coming to his heart. How, and how many of you, when you enter this masjid, feel special? Raise your hand. When you enter the masjid, you don't have to look at other people and say, Oh, I'm not, I'm not. No, don't close your eyes. Buddy. You know, I know it. I know it. When you enter the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how many alumni send me messages? How many ansar send me messages? How many random brothers would just stop by here, send a message? To say, Bhai, I don't know what it is. I just came, even though there's no program happening, but I just felt a sense of peace that I've never felt anywhere else. I don't know what it is. Is it maybe the students studying hadith? Is it the dhikr that brothers are doing? Is it the salah? What it is? May Allah always keep it like that. Say ameen. But we need to increase it on that. If we do our job properly, then simply a tour group of non-Muslims will come here and at least some of them will take effect. Just by the aman and the athkar that we're doing. So this is where the solution will come to our Muslim society. 
is by bringing the Sharia and for you and I to becoming a, an exemplary model for others to follow. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, You're going to say, was he, not, was he not afraid of Allah already? Obviously not. That's incorrect. And obviously not meaning that's an incorrect conclusion. Instead, like you tell a hardworking student, by keep on studying, mashallah, study. Because I was already studying. He said, yes, keep it up, mashallah. That's the whole point. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Rasulullah you continue to fear me. Especially continue to fear me with regards to they intimidating you and saying, if you don't leave da'wat, we're going to harm you. If you don't leave inviting towards Islam, we're going to kill you. We're going to boycott you. We're going to do this and that. Allah is saying, لا تخافوهم إن كنتم مؤمنين. Don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of me if you're true believers. This message is for you and I. Very important. Times are going to only get difficult more than likely. The stakes are only going to get higher. Like I said, the oven is getting heated more and more. The demands from Allah are going to be more. To follow the basics of the deen is going to become even more difficult. To simply remain, look at today what we saw. A, a, Muslim, a, a masjid became shaheed in India. You heard about that? In, in, in uh, you know, subhanAllah. Uh, unfortunately, Ajib, six, it was from the era of the British. This is the biggest incident of, of making a masjid shaheed after Babri Masjid. And most of you are not even aware of this. It happened today, unfortunately. No one could see anything. They put a one-mile blockade around it. Bulldozers came and demolished it. Bus, just like that. Even though there was, a, there was a stop order not to demolish it. They don't care. To follow the deen will become challenging. This ayah, remember this. Do not be afraid of them. Be afraid of me. If you believe in me. What are we speaking about? Being afraid of Allah and what? Ittaqillah, fear Allah and what? In the fact that Allah is sufficient as my protector. I don't need anyone else to protect me. One beautiful point you say, but Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam suffered. Ajeeb, Mulana Thanwi wrote in Bayan Al-Quran. He says, yes, Muslims, you may suffer. Hazur suffered as well. In that suffering in which the non-Muslims were able to give him harm, it, it was allowed to happen under the watchful eye of Allah. Allah allowed it to happen because Allah had a purpose behind that. To increase Rasulullah's status or to forgive the Muslims who are going through that difficulty or to grant them shahada and martyrdom. You understand that? Allah kidare. Allah hai bhai. Where is Allah? Allah is he not watching? Yes, he is watching. He is watching. If he intentionally allows someone to harm you, remember that that is being done with a purpose. That is being done by a purpose that Allah knows that you are unaware of. Did you understand that point? So let this thought not come to your mind. Where is Allah? How come Allah says, fear me when it comes to your protection and don't be afraid? And he's, how come, how come Muslims are getting hurt? How come Rasulullah got hurt? Well, he didn't say you're never going to get hurt. Whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to harm you, it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow that to happen. However, there will be some hidden fadila, there will be some hidden virtue in that. Allahu Akbar. Now the meaning of taqwa, my dear brothers, is that a person leads his life in a manner that what he says, what he does, every single thing is in accordance to the sharia. Every aspect of what he is doing is in according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks. And there are different levels of taqwa. First level of taqwa. First level of taqwa is that a person obeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in whatever he asks him to do. For example, Allah says, وَقُولُوا لِلنَّاسِ husna." Say nice things to people. Be kind when you speak to people. Or Allah says, Say to the believing men to lower their gaze. So that taqwa is that 
you immediately obey this command of Allah. You lower your gaze, you speak softly, you forgive people, and so forth. The second level of taqwa is that Allah puts in your heart a nur by which you're able to differentiate what's right and what's wrong and you automatically start doing what's right. Imam Ghazali he says, he says, Through this nur, you'll be able to see truth as truth and falsehood as falsehood. Goodness as goodness and evil as evil. Whatever is right is right, whatever is wrong is wrong. This is the nur. Think of an example that you have different chemicals in a laboratory. And they're all labeled. And you know, okay, this is uh, this chemical, this is this chemical. It's written there. Then there is a chemist. He, does, he comes to his lab and he's a chemistry teacher or a chemist, whatever. He looks at elements there or he looks at chemicals there and they are in the tubes and they are not labeled. Just by looking at the color or the smell or the way it's interacting with something else, he immediately tells you this is such and such chemical. Got it? This is the second level of taqwa. That you don't need to have labels. You don't need to be told what's right and what's wrong. You have an intuition within yourself that tells you that I don't even need to ask a fatwa on this. My heart tells me this is haram. How did this come to you? By doing the first level of taqwa for years and years and years. Fear Allah and Allah will teach you. Believers, if you fear Allah, Allah will give you furqan. What's furqan? The ability to distinguish right from wrong. Straight from the Quran. Allah will give you furqan. So this is what you and I need to be aspiring to have. Okay? Is that we, instead of just doing what's right and what's wrong, do it to such a level that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the nur by which we can start differentiating automatically what's right and what's wrong. Allah said, then do not obey the disbelievers and the hypocrites. What were they saying? They were saying, please make some amends. Make some changes. You know, don't be so harsh. Allah says, do not, do, do not be obedient to them. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is well aware of their intentions. Alima. He knows exactly who's saying with what intention. Hakima, he's also wise. He knows. Behind every wisdom, behind every, behind every command of Allah is wisdom. Point for us to reflect over here. There is a manhaj and a methodology that Allah has laid out for us. And there's a methodology that creation have, has come up with. Basically all ideologies out there, all isms are man-made, correct? Our belief is Islam is not man-made. Even the Prophet ﷺ, he did not speak out of his own wisdom. Uh, uh, own whims. He only spoke with the permission of Allah. So when you're comparing the when you're comparing the method of leading a life that Allah has ordained compared to all other isms, there is no comparison. Why is there no comparison? Because Allah is all knowledgeable, He knows exactly what you need. Hakima, He's all wise. Every command of His, there's a hidden reason why something is the way it is. Whether it's capitalism, socialism, communism, every other ism out there. The ilm of Allah is not there. The hikmah of Allah is not there. It's man-made. 
and it's going to be filled with flaws. It may work for some time, it may fail after that. It may work for a certain class of people and fail for others. But it is only the manhaj of Allah, the methodology of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has given us through the prophets of leading a life. This is where you will see that everyone stands to benefit. Remember that. Everyone stands to benefit. No matter whether you live in a first world country or third world country. No matter whether you come from an educated class of people or an uneducated class of people. It absolutely does not make a difference. If a person follows the manhaj of Allah Azza wa Jal and the, of Sharia, he will be successful. Allah says, Obey that which has been revealed to you from your Lord. So again, ittaqi, ittabi' These commands, my beloved brothers, I didn't say this before this answer. These commands are actually meant for us. Remember I said, if someone asks, why is Rasulullah being ordered when he already has taqwa? So what was the first answer? He already has taqwa, he's being told to continue to have taqwa. Number two, he's not about the normal taqwa. He's being told that don't worry about the intimidatory tactics and the terrorizing of the terrorization by the non-Muslims. You have nothing to worry, Allah will take care of you. That's what he's being told. And the third explanation of ittaqillah is that this message is to you and I. Is this only one place? No, it's not. Allah said in the Quran, Ya ayyuh nabiyu idha talaqtumun nisa, O Prophet, when you divorce your wives, فَطَلِّقُوهُنَّ الْعِدَّتِهِنَّ So even sure you divorce them at the beginning of the iddah. Meaning we would explain this as give them talaq in their tuhur, in their time when they're pure. Did Nabi Sallallahu divorce his wives? No, he didn't. So then, what does this command mean? Straight in Nabi, O Nabi, if when you, talaqtum is a plural word, plural. Talaqta, singular, talaqtum, plural. So obviously this verse is not intended for the Prophet, it's to us. This is the ikram Allah has to you and I, Allahu Akbar. The ummah of Rasulullah that Allah addresses the Prophet when he wants to send a message to us many times. Right? Many times, I've given you this example, that Allah subhanahu at home, when you want to send a message to your older son, but you don't want to directly have a confrontation or tell him, you, t you tell the younger one. And then you, allow the, you allow, the, allow the older one to hear that. You know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. So the younger one hears it, but the idea is for the older one to hear it. This is just a system we have at homes. You can understand the adab, that the love Allah has for this ummah. That if he wants to deliver a message, at times he sends it to the Prophet when the intended audience is who? We are. Allahu Akbar. Right? This is the love and the, the respect Allah gives to you and I. And why? Because we're from the ummah of Rasulullah wasallam. So Allah says, follow that which has been revealed to you, O Muhammad. Indeed, Allah Jalla Jalalu is well aware of what you do. Next, last ayah. And place your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Place your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah is enough as a guardian. This is a really important point. That when we are dealing, when we're going to do the work of da'wah, when we're going to do the work of deen, remember, you will always have people who will stand up against you. Did we not hear this with Waraqah ibn Nawfil? Remember that? When uh, Khadija anha took Rasulullah to him, and he said, what happened? And he said, this is the experience I had in the cave, and Jibreel and Falan. What did he say? This is the Namus. This is the same angel that came to the previous prophets. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You were receiving an angel with a with message. And then he told him, I wish I was with you when you will be exiled from your community. And if I was with you, I would 
put my full effort and come to your assistance. When Nabi Sallallahu heard this, he was shocked. And he said, Awa yahum? Are they really going to exile me? I am so honored amongst them. They call me As-Sadiq Al-Ameen and so and so and so and so. I'm always there as a leader amongst them, removing their disputes and so forth. Are they going to exile me? And he said, yes. And that's exactly what happens with anyone who comes with a message that you came with. Every single one of them is opposed by his nation. And then Allah said in the Quran, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ عَدُوًّا شَيَاطِينَ الْإِنسِ وَالْجِنِ And indeed, what does kul mean? What does kul mean? Every. وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ And we've made for every prophet عَدُوًّا and enemy. Who are these enemies? Shayateen. Who are these shayateen? مِنَ الْإِنسِ وَالْجِنِ Shayateen from humans and shayateen from jinn. They're shayateen from amongst humans, yeah. So when the, when the mother says, it's shaitan, that's true, right? <laughs> they, are sh- they are shayateen from the humans. Let's not become one of those, right? But they are shayateen from the verse of the Quran. They're shayateen from amongst the humans. And what's the shayateen, another one? From the jinn. Allah says, we have deputed shayateen from humans and jinn for every prophet. What do they all do, these shayateen? They communicate with one another. The shayateen from jinn. They communicate to the shayateen from ins and they tell them, this is what you got to do, this is what you got to do, this is what you got to do. So they have their full Bluetooth connection. They don't even need any teleporting, nothing. They're working hand in hand together. Because sometimes you say, how evil can a human be? I can't believe it. I can't believe, where's your mercy? Where's your sympathy? Look what's happening here and there. That's it. The shayateen from the jinn, they keep on inf- just pumping the shayateen from the humans and they, it's like they're blind, deaf and dumb. They don't see anything. May Allah protect us from becoming one of these. And may Allah save us from being tested by them as well. So Nabi Sallallahu was told by, his, by Khadiz Allah and his cousin that this is standard practice. Allah has this system. Anytime you stand up to invite people towards deen, you're going to have enemies. So this is a message for you and I. If you're going to do the work of deen, put your reliance upon Allah. Reliance upon Allah in what? In your safety. Just it. If you're always all looking behind your back, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're never going to be able to do the work of deen. If you want to do the work of deen, my beloved brothers and sisters, you read your du'as, read your morning and evening du'as, read your manzil, like we said. How many of you started reading the manzil after itikaf? Anyone here from, who was not reading manzil started reading? Okay. We need to work on this a little bit. Alright? I, I emphasize the importance of reading manzil in itikaf and other times as well. Right? Unless all of you are reading from before, mashallah. Okay, no problem. Let's take the Husn al Every one of you who's listening, sitting here, all of you are reading it. So if, you're, if you happen to be online and not reading it, then I request you to please go download Manzil. M-A-N-Z-I-L, Manzil. Right? It's 30 verses of the Quran. And download and keep it on your phone. And recite it every single day. Buy it from uh, online. Find it in, in Chicago in one of the bookstores. 30 verses of the Quran. Make a habit of reading this morning and evening. And then blow on your hands and blow on your body. And make a habit of teaching all your, your children at home and your spouse. Make a habit, inshallah, tabarak wa ta'ala. Who makes knee of this? I'm going to ask next week, inshallah. Okay? Alright? Next week, inshallah, we'll see how many of you raise your hand. Make a habit of reading manzil. Alright? And if you read it every single day, inshallah, within a month, you'll have memorized a good portion of it. Most of this stuff you already know. Surah Fatiha. There's a few sections from Surah Rahman, this and that. 
This is a big need of the day right now. People are getting left and right, shaitani, wasawis, doubts, nadar, ayn, sihr, all of that. The protection from that, mashallah, is manzil. To make a habit of reading that. So, if you're always going to be worried, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? You're not going to be able to do anything. That's why put, read your manzil, give your sadaqah, read your morning and evening du'as, don't do anything stupid, don't do anything foolish, be smart, and then you put your reliance upon Allah. And the enemies will continue to work against you. Yeah, that's standard. That happened with all the prophets. You're no different. Why do you think you're not going to have that? That's going to happen to everyone. And Allah is enough as a guardian. Why are you looking left and right? Allah is enough as a guardian. You don't need anyone else. Allah said in the Quran, Ni'mal Mawla wa Ni'mal Nasir. He's the best of caretakers. He's the best of helpers. So when you and I read all the du'as and we trust Allah, and then we sit there looking, oh, I'm worried, I'm worried. You are basically, you and I are showing distrust in Allah. As though Allah is not a good enough protector. Allah is definitely the good enough protector. Use your means, but in your heart, make sure you turn towards Allah. Look at one of the ahadith I'll share with you. If you want to be the most strongest of people, put your reliance upon Allah. If you want to be the most honorable of people, fear Allah. If you want to be the wealthiest of people, if you want to be the richest of people, then trust, have more trust in what's in the hands of Allah than you have trust in what's in your own hand. Did you hear what I said? If you want to be the wealthiest of people, then have more trust in what's in the hands of Allah than what you have trust in what's in your own hands. In another narration, it mentioned, this is a narration that there isn't a creation of mine, Allah is, as though Allah is saying, as though Allah is saying, there isn't a creation of mine that takes, holds on to me for my assistance instead of holding on to any of my creations. And then I recognize that from his intentions. And then all the people in the heavens and the earth try to plot against him. But I will make sure, I will make a way out and exit for him. Because I can figure out from his niyyah, that his niyyah is that he's trusting me and is not trusting anyone else. Nazar kisi you're looking at someone, but please save me. But in, in your heart, you're saying, Ya Allah, please change his heart. That's the thing. A guy is holding a gun, Allah billah. You're saying, please save me. But your heart is saying, Ya Allah, he can't do anything. He can't blink an eye without your permission. Much less pull the trigger without your permission. Ya Allah, please change his heart. And let him, let me go. So the eyes are focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Got it? He says, whenever a person is focused only on Allah, I will make sure I will get you out of even if the whole world is plotting against you. And whenever one of you chooses to seek protection from my creation instead of me, and I sense that from your niyyah, I will make sure that I will make the earth fall upon underneath you. I will make it fall from underneath you, and I will break all the means from the sky to help you. That's it. You won't be held, assisted. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He allows you and I to have true tawakkul and, and allows us to have true taqwa allows us to love the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in all aspects of our life. He allows us, inshallah ta'ala, 
to uh, embody the beautiful lessons that we're going to be learning in Surah Al-Ahzab. And, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant you and I istiqama and steadfastness. That's a key thing. Steadfastness and iqama in every deen. Alhamdulillah, we started on the first day of Ramadan. I know some of us are tired. It's late a little bit. SubhanAllah. But may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspire you. I see you all came from work. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward every one of you for your sacrifices. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this barakah of this first day, may He accept us to come for all remaining sessions that we have. May He inspire me to say that which I need to hear the most, which you need to hear the most. And may He allow us to uh, share these, these messages with the rest. Whatever we hear in this dars, may He allow myself and all of us to immediately put into practice. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, 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 inshaAllah. We have adhan in uh, now and then Aisha in five minutes. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Ashhadu an la ilaha Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah Ashhadu anna Muhammadar أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على Yeah.